If you have your Bible, join me in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. As we look at the family, there are husbands and fathers among us. There are wives and mothers among us. But there is one thing that is absolutely true of every one of us. We are all children. But we are all, at some point in our life, we recognize that we went through childhood, we survived childhood, and so we are all children. Now, even as being children, there's still a lot of differences there. For some, you grew up in a Christian home with parents who loved each other, who loved you, who nurtured you, and who helped you in your walk with the Lord. Some grew up and may have never known your birth parents. Some may have grown up in a home with one parent, either a mother or a father, or perhaps in a home where both parents were there, but they were kind of absentee, uh, where they they weren't necessarily directly involved. Uh, I read an article one time, it talked about parenting in the 80s. It said when you parented in the 80s, you sent your kids outside with big lawn darts and kind of left them alone to see what would happen. Now you have helicopter parents who watch every single thing that their kids do. And they've got little monitors attached to them so they know what's going on in their rooms. And we see parenting kind of change through generations. But what we know is that all of us have been children. And if you have children, regardless of what stage you were in, there's still a role and a responsibility that you have as a parent in your child's life, though that role changes throughout. Last week, the week before, we were looking at a lot of principles on being a father, a husband, looking on principles in marriage and the home. This week, we're going to look at some principles with parenting, but this week will be a little bit more specific. Here are some things that we should do. Now, I've had opportunity to talk with Pastor Jared a fair amount as he's been coming into this phase. And I've said, the one thing I have learned without a doubt with kids is the more I have, the more I understand, they're all different. And what works for one does not work for the other. And I I told Brittany the other day in the hospital, I said, if anybody looks at you and says, you absolutely have to do this, and it's an application principle thing, they're wrong. Okay, They're, they're just absolutely, there is no absolute when it comes to it. Well, you've got to put them to bed at this time. Good luck. Okay, it works sometimes. And I say now I have the best proof in the world because I have two of them and what works for one does not work for the other. And so it is something that right now we are going through where we recognize anytime somebody says this is the thing. Yeah, no, not so much. But there are principles in Scripture that are absolute and we follow those principles and we're going to look at some of those this morning and then look at some application with them. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And the promise is that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we got three words here that that go together. Don't provoke to wrath. So don't do those things as a parent that's going to push your child towards rebellion. Nurture, the, the word there is to hug. It's when you have that little baby and you're caring and you're caressing and you're calming that child. And admonition is to correct when they're not doing right. So there is a love and a correction that is the responsibility in parenting, 
but done in such a way that it doesn't provoke to wrath and push towards rebellion. Well, how are we going to accomplish that? Proverbs 22, verse 6, I believe, helps us in a lot of ways. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, in this verse, there's much going on here. We're not going to take a ton of time here. But train up a child, and there's a modern mindset that says, if I take a child and I train them a certain way, they may go way off the path for a while, but they will eventually come back onto the path. The phraseology here is actually that of a hunter, and we see it elsewhere in Psalms. When you take an arrow and you set it on track, now contrary to Robin Hood the cartoon, arrows don't go up and come back down in the exact bullseye on the target. You set them on a course and they follow that course. Now in that, does that mean that if you train a child up, they're going to be perfect? That's not at all what it means. But it means as a parent, we're going to set our kids on a path towards the Lord. And I think there's more in this, and we'll look at it a little bit here in a second. But for a second, I want, to, I want to focus on the word train. We use two English words interchangeably at times, and I think it can be dangerous in this instance. We will use the word teach and the word train kind of interchangeably. Let me give you a couple examples. We say we teach a child how to walk. Well, do you really teach a kid how to walk? If you think about it, teaching is the dissemination of information, and then you could even argue that learning, the other side of teaching, is the accumulation of information. If that's the fact, if I teach a child how to walk, I say to that child, you put one foot in front of the other, shift your weight, and continue moving your weight forward, and that's walking. Does that mean that that kid can walk once they learn that? No, you have to train them. You pick them up, you put them on their feet, they fall flat on their face. You pick them up, you put them on their feet, they fall on their face. And, and you can get them like the little things that they walk behind and all that kind of stuff. But training is the process of this is what walking is. Now, let's get you doing it. We say, I teach children how to write. Well, we don't really teach kids how to write. We train them how to write. We teach them, okay, this is an A. You go up, down, my kids will play this game. They'll go, okay, Daddy, what word am I spelling? I got no idea what you just did. And they'll always do it when I'm driving looking in the rearview mirror. You do know there are other cars, okay? So I'm sorry, I can't watch what you're doing back here. Hey, Daddy, watch what? Teaching is saying you go up, down, over, that's an A. Training is here's a pencil, hold it properly, go up. Come back down. Don't pick your pencil up. Now, cross your A or in cursive. Make your loop. Come down. They don't teach that anymore, you know. Come up. And you train them how to write. Teenagers. You don't teach a teenager how to drive. You train them how to drive. Even the law understands that. So you have to get a learner's permit and you have to go through a training practicing process to learn how to drive. It's not, oh yeah, you get in the car, you push the gas, you push the brake, shift it, turn the steering wheel, you're good to go. No, you train a child. So when Proverbs comes to us here and says, train up a child, there's a lot of weight on that word train. And the word train there has the idea that as parents, we now have to model, we set an example, 
but we nurture, we love, we teach, we give information, admonition, we give correction, and we work with our children to train them in the way of the Lord. It is not just do this, it's, hey, here's how you do it. Let me help you do it. When you're doing it right, I commend you. When you're doing it wrong, I help you to learn how to do it right. So there is a constant training process. We recognize training in physical areas so well, but in spiritual areas, we don't understand training as well. Even to the place, as we talk about prayer much in our church this year, if we're not careful, we don't train our children how to pray biblically. We tell them things, and we teach them to sit on Santa's lap and ask requests. Instead of training them how to truly pray to get to know God and to grow in God. So training is the work here. What we want as parents is we want parenting with purpose. We want to set out and do our parenting, our training with purpose behind what we're trying to accomplish. Man was walking down the street. As he walked down the street, there was a large construction project going on. There were men in different spots, and they were all laying brick. He walks up to the first man. He says, hey, sir, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm laying brick. Okay, okay, good, good. He goes to the next guy. Hey, sir, what are you doing? He goes, I am building a building. Okay, goes to the next guy. Hey, sir, what are you doing? He says, I'm constructing the most beautiful cathedral you will ever see. All of them were laying brick. Each one saw it differently. If we're not careful, we can be, what are you doing? I'm raising kids. Okay, that's admirable. What are you doing? I'm trying to raise good, contributing members of society. Again, this this is admirable. This, This is a good thing. It's better than just saying, hey, I'm just raising kids. Or, I am raising servants for Jesus Christ who will stand before God one day, and my desire is that they will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now there's a difference in my purpose as I deal with my young people. There's a difference when this is my goal, when my kids are 50 and I'm dealing with them. Because I'm trying to help them get here. And I recognize my influence is different at this stage, but the goal is still the same. Why should we have goals in parenting? Have you ever heard someone say, or you begin to feel as if, parenting is almost like playing roulette? You throw your ball on a spinning wheel, and it's just going to kind of land wherever it lands, and it's purely a game of chance? Well, according to Proverbs 22, I don't feel like that's the case. I feel like in Scripture, when we help train, we have far more of an impact in our children's life than random chance. Now, I've said this before, and I believe this with everything in me. The minute, as a parent, you feel like you're doing everything right, your pride is killing you. Because any parent knows, I don't do everything right. When you say, I am doing my best to follow what Scripture teaches, but I know I need God's mercy and help in this. Now you're a lot closer to the right path. We yield to the Holy Spirit's leading, we ask for help, and we set goals. What is it that I want to accomplish? Well, why do we set goals? 
You recognize that God has goals for our lives? In Romans chapter 8, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jeremiah said, While I was in my mother's womb, while my members were being fashioned, God had a plan for me. God has goals and plans for every one of us. And when we follow those goals and those plans, we end up at the destination he has. But God knows where he wants us to go. And you and I need to have some goals and some plans for our children so that we can work towards accomplishing something greater with them than just allowing it to happen. You recognize Satan has goals for your children, regardless of their age? In Job 1, verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. Satan looked at Job and said, I got a plan for him. I'll destroy him. We'll see how faithful he is. God has a plan for all of us. Satan equally has a plan. And Satan is working in a mighty way in this generation to attack young people. And he is working in a mighty way to attack parents because he knows if he can destroy the home, he can destroy the fabric of society, the fabric of Christianity. So he attacks and he attacks and he attacks. God has a plan, but Satan equally has a plan. We need to establish goals for our children. We come to Scripture, we set out what we want to accomplish for our children. Now look, in a practical way, please understand, goals, purpose, gives unity for parents. It gives unity for parents. It is why I, I sat with a couple one time doing premarital counseling. And there was some very different positions biblically for the two of them. And I looked at them and I said, right now you think these differences are okay? Because you two are mature adults who can look at these differences and say, it's okay with me that they're different here. But when your child comes home from church and you two now have these dramatically different worldviews and biblical views... Whose view is going to win? How are you going to live when your child doesn't have your view? And there's this conflict. Parents have to be unified. Now, any couple, any couple can tell you, there are times when in front of the kids, you hold that unification line and you get behind the door and you go, what in the world? And you have to figure that out. But unification of parents, when you do it ahead of time, and you say, here's our goal, here's what we're trying to accomplish. So when something new comes in, if something comes in, one of our kids, hey, can I do this? Hey, can I do that? Hey, can I? If we have the same goals for our children, whatever the hey, can I is, then it comes to that goal. And we look, does this match what we're trying to accomplish in our family with our kids? And if it's questionable at all, instead of giving an answer right away, you go, hang on, let me talk to your mom about that. Let us talk about it. We'll get back with you. Oh, but no, 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 no. 
look, parents, don't let your kid rush you. It's okay. You're the parent. They're not. You, you say to them, just hang on. It'll, look, we'll get back with you. This is not a decision that has to be made right now. And you come back unified together with a purpose and a goal for your children in mind in every decision that you make. When you come together in unity, it keeps consistency for parents. Because now it's not my emotions, how I feel that day. <laughs> Aren't there days when your kids ask something and you just go, no. Why not? Because daddy tired. No. You don't have any good reason for it. You just don't want to do it. And then the exact same thing another day could come up and you're like, oh yeah, sure, let's go. And your kid's so confused and they don't understand. Well, now when mom and dad are doing it differently and the consistency's not there, then what happens? They come and they ask dad, hey, can we do this? No. Hey, mom, can we do this? And they start working mom against dad. In our house, we have a very simple thing. If you ever ask one of us, that's the answer. So if, and we've watched it happen, and our kids are too young to realize right now, you need to ask the other parent when the first one's not around, if you're going to try and work one against the other. So, so they'll ask me, and then they'll walk right on the other side of the room and ask mom. And it is shut down instantly. No, absolutely not. You don't get to do that in our house, because you're not going to pit mom and dad against each other. There are some parents in here who understand this in a way that I, I don't meaning that some parents in here are single parents. I cannot tell you the level of respect that I have for any single parent. It is hard enough with two of us. So, so anytime a single parent is working to get their kids walking with the Lord, I have the utmost respect, and I'm willing to help in any way I can. It's hard for a single parent. But I want to tell you something. There's one thing that's harder than being a single parent, and that's being a split parent. Now, I, I don't mean that the parents aren't living together, divorced, whatever the case may be. What I mean is two parents in the same house that are going two different directions. Because now when you make a decision, you're not just trying to help a child. Now you're fighting with your spouse in it. In a split home in which parents are going different directions, or in which one parent is active and one parent is passive. That is far harder than just being a single parent. Because it creates in that child uh, an ambiguity of situation. And it creates in them a desire for deceitfulness. Because they can work parents against each other. At core level, parents who are not unified, who are not going the same direction instantly generating an environment that is rebellion and it is pushing it onto their children and their children don't even understand it yet but they recognize their own desires and they begin to recognize how to accomplish those desires when you have goals when you have purpose it keeps you consistent as parents. Whether you want to admit it or not, your children are sinners. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58.3, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. 
Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. One of the things, and I don't know if we have them here. I don't have them in my yard here. We had them in Virginia. Were mole crickets? Uh, I don't know if y'all know what a mole cricket is. I don't know what the difference is between a mole cricket and a regular cricket is, so I just call them mole crickets. But anyway, you, you get those things in your yard, and they just start eating at your yard, and they just start killing the grass in your yard. The problem with mole crickets is once they get in your yard, the only way to really get rid of them is to, in turn, put stuff on the yard to kill the moles mole crickets they kill the yard so once they get in the only way to get rid of them is to kill the very thing you're trying to protect our children have in their heart a sinfulness from birth if we don't begin to deal with it early it overtakes the heart and then it's almost impossible to get it back one of the great stories that I ever heard was a man, Jim Stottenborough. He, he was a song leader. He traveled with an evangelist, led music for him. When Dr. Jim told me the story, I don't know. He was probably 85 uh, when he told me this story. He said, when I was young, my first daughter was born. He said, the evangelist that he traveled with walked into his room one day, sat down, put his feet up on the desk, and said, Jim, you're losing your daughter. You need to start correcting her or she's going to rebel against you. His daughter was two. Jim Stoutborough said, I was just shocked. I mean, she was two. What, what, what did he see? He said, but over the course of time, he began to help me, and I realized it, and he began to work more consistently with his daughter to try and get a hold of his daughter's heart, to try and build their relationship, to try and help her, recognizing now it's a lot easier at two years old than it is at five, than it is at 15. And by the time it's 35, it's almost impossible. But we have to recognize that early on, there is a sinfulness in the heart of children. That as parents, we get together, we set goals, we have a unified approach, and we begin to work towards getting our children not just to raise kids, not just to have contributing members of society, but to have godly children who will stand before God one day. The root of all sin is found in the runaway indulgences of God-given desires. So that there are desires inside of our children's heart. They are God-given desires. But the indulgence of those desires are what get us in trouble. And so the earlier we begin to teach our children to help control those desires, the easier it is to help them grow and walk in the Lord. All right, so what should your goals for parenting be. Some of these are very practical, but, but don't let them get by you. What should your goals for parenting be? First thing, your goal should be to be your child's greatest influence. Now that sounds almost wrong in, in today's society. Don't let TV, social media, school, church, or a pastor be the greatest influence on your children. I believe with everything in me that you need to get your child in an environment to where they have a Sunday school teacher, a youth pastor, a children's pastor, a pastor who will be a good influence in their life. 
It is why we run an upward basketball program. It is why in our upward basketball program, all of our coaches are coaches from the church. Because I'm not willing to take a chance, though they may be a wonderful person, that someone that I don't know is going to have influence in the life of a young person who comes on our property. I I want us to guard that influence with everything in me. I think as a parent, you ought to guard TV, social media, school, all of those influences. But it should be that your desire is to be the greatest influence in your children's life. Whether you realize it or not, I will never have the influence in your child's life that you will have as a parent. I started off in ministry working with young people. I worked with teenagers for years and years. And I came to the place to where I realized if I really want to help teens, I've got to really start helping parents help children. Because by the time they're getting to their teen years, we can have some influence. Don't get me wrong. But it's not as much influence as a mom and dad can have from the time they're two until the time they're 12. And so you get parents who say, look, I want to be the greatest influence in my child's life. Do you understand? Something or someone will influence your children. Why not you? Joshua 24, 15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. He didn't say whether or not you're going to serve. He said, choose you whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He made the decision for his family. This is what we are going to do. And he worked with his family to do this. And if you look at Joshua's life, I mean, this is a snapshot at the end of the book. You go back with Moses. When everybody else was content with Moses to go hear from the Lord, Moses goes, he speaks to God, he comes back to speak to the children of Israel. Joshua wasn't content. Joshua says, it's okay, Moses, you can go. I'm not done. And Joshua stays there and he prays and he begs God and he talks to God and he worships God because Joshua knew that his heart needed to be right and then later in life, Joshua now says, not only do I have to stay close to God, i got to work to help my family stay close to God. He said, I'm not willing. I am not willing to let anyone else have the greatest influence in my children's life. I want that influence. And I'm going to work. Here's the problem. Influence takes work. Period. It takes work. It takes work. It takes work. Oh, it takes work. You have to concentrate on it. You have to sacrifice yourself. You have to actively pursue it. You have to set aside other things. You have to sacrifice your greatest earthly desires to focus on that which is the most important spiritual desires. If someone's going to influence my children, I want it to be me. So what do I have to do? Hey, go for your child's heart. Go for your child's heart. We are not about behavior modification. Though that needs to occur, we're going to look at it here in a minute. It is secondary. Heart transformation is what's important. If you don't have your child's heart, then it it doesn't matter. It, It just doesn't matter because they'll only behave for so long. Malachi 4, 6 says, And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. No matter the cost, the circumstances, the challenge, or the commitment, get their hearts. 
Choose relationship with them over riches and rule. Time over treasures or trophies. Find out what they enjoy, invest in it. Find out what they're afraid of and protect them from them. Observe them, ask them questions. I, I've told you this, I joke with my kids, but they don't know I'm joking. From the time they're little, everything in this world is scared of one thing. And then they're scared of daddies. Dad, have you ever swum with sharks? Yeah, I've, I've been swimming with sharks before. Were you afraid they were going to bite you? No, sharks are scared of daddies. I didn't tell them I was swimming with nurse sharks, which don't have a mouth and teeth that can bite people the, the way that like a great white shark can. They don't even know that yet. They're, they're, they're scared of daddies. What about monsters under the bed? No, monsters are scared of daddies. They, they just run away from daddies. You don't have to worry about that. Daddy's in the house. There's no monsters here. And, and you teach them. And you say, well, why would you teach them something silly like that? Because if my kids have a fear, I want them to come to me about it. Now, as they get older, will everything scared of daddy's work? No. But at the end of the day, isn't their heavenly father more powerful than anything else? So if I begin to get them to understand that daddy's powerful, one day they'll understand that their heavenly daddy is powerful. And so when your child has an interest, when your child has a fear, don't belittle it, don't run from it, pursue it, help it. Justice was a little fellow. We went and watched fireworks. Fireworks are going off. He's scared to death. So you take him away from that environment and you protect him in that environment. Whatever it is, if it fits your purpose and your goals, then you pursue it and you pursue their heart. Because at the end of the day, if I have my kids' hearts, then when they don't understand something, you get the benefit of the doubt. A friend of mine was dealing with his teenage boys, and he was trying to explain something to them. That they were kind of changed the way they were doing it in their home. And, and he was just having a hard time putting it into words. And he, he was kind of hem-hawing around, trying to explain it. And finally, his teenage boys looked at him and said, Dad, 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 it's okay. If you say it, we'll do it. We, 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 don't, we don't need to understand. We trust you. When you have your kids' hearts, they trust you. And you've got to pursue that. Make that what is the most important thing. Get their hearts. Influence them. Ask the Lord to help you catch your children doing wrong. We have this naivety about us that if we don't see our kids doing wrong, they're not doing wrong. No. Ask the Lord to help you and ask people to help you. Yesterday, basketball game, I'm refing on one end of the court. One of my children goes running through the court at the other end. He gets off, he starts to come back on. The other ref looks at him and says, and this was not a ref controlling a basketball game moment. This was a spiritual leader looking at a young person saying, hey, hey, look, look, Justice, come here. And he corrects Justice and he helps Justice to understand what's wrong. As a parent, that's great. That's great to me. That never bothers me. If my kids do wrong, I'm looking at anybody in here and I'm saying, I don't want you to cover it up. People hate it when they tell me that my kids did something wrong because I'll make my kids call them and apologize or I'll make them come up to them and apologize. And then the person's always like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. No, they don't have to. No, 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 they do. Because the problem isn't that whatever, the, running on the basketball court, let's be honest, this is not a felony, okay? But the problem is I want them to learn to do the right things. And I want them to learn to have respect for authority. And so there has to now be a willingness 
to come to that child and to say, I need other people to help me because I want to get a hold of their heart and I want to catch them early instead of when their heart becomes hard because they've been sneaking around and doing things. Aim higher than just seeing your children saved. Focus on seeing your children walk with God. Instill in them a love for God, a love for His Word, a love for His creation, a love for His house, and a love for His will. I say this not in any indictment, not in anything. I had a pastor friend who <clears throat> came to me. He, he was actually my parents' pastor. He, he came to me, and he made a statement about his children. And he said, he said, being a pastor is very hard on your kids. Now, at this point, I was barely out of my teen years myself. And he said, I just give my kids a lot more room because everyone else is going to be hard on my kids. Now, both of his kids walked away from the Lord. Uh, both of his kids live a lifestyle that would not be anywhere close in accordance with Scripture. His deal was, I'm a pastor, and because pastoring is hard on my kids, I give my kids slack. My deal is different than that, and Kara can attest to this because we've had this conversation. My deal will never be, I'm a pastor, and because of that, I have to give my kids slack. My deal is, my kids need to love the Lord, I don't have to be a pastor. And you can look at it any way you want. I don't have to be a pastor. I've got to be a dad. I believe it's what the Lord's called me to do, and I don't believe that the Lord's callings conflict. But if I were ever in an environment as a pastor that hurt my kids and kept my kids from loving the Lord, then I don't need to be a pastor there. It's just that simple. And if that's true for me, that's true for you. And whether it's in construction, whether it's in whatever teaching whether it's in engineering whether it's whatever it is you have to be a dad you have to be a mom and so be willing to look at it and say i need my kids to love the lord and i'm not going to let something get in the way of that it is why as a pastor one of my first goals is to get children's ministries and our youth group at our church thriving because that's crucial to me. Because I need those kids loving the Lord and growing. You can grow some on your own because you can read. If your little children can't read yet, it's hard for them to grow on their own. So we have to help, and we want to be a help to you in doing that. But we recognize the need, and we begin to instill a love in children for the Lord. It's why... I don't want chaos in any children's program, but I'm not beating a kid up over anything because I want to instill love in them first for the Lord. It doesn't mean we don't correct. It doesn't mean we don't deal with things. Lead your children in a godly education. Regardless of where they go to school, you're responsible for making sure your kids have a godly education, meaning that they understand who God is. If your children are getting 20, 30, 40 hours a week of education that is anti-God, you got a lot of work ahead of you, period. If your children are getting 20, 30, 40 hours a week of education that is pro-God, wonderful, 
don't let that be the substitute for parenting. You are responsible to help make sure your children are learning about God properly. Lead your children to serve God. Teach them to walk with the Lord. Teach them to be involved in service for the Lord. Have in your life a determination that says, my biggest goal, and look, I've got two pages of notes here on practical things. We're going to skip them all. They're practical things that are important, but they're not critical in the sense that teaching your kids to love the Lord is. Now, we started off this morning in Proverbs 22. We started off with the idea of train up your child in the way he should go. So as we finish up, I want to finish with this thought. Don't be satisfied to teach. Be determined to train. If your children this morning are having their own children or perhaps having their own grandchildren, it's okay. Don't be satisfied with just teaching. Be determined to train. Don't give up just because your influence is less. I had a man who called me and said, Look, my daughter lives in your area. Would you go speak to her about the Lord? I will gladly do that. But the naivety is that he thinks a complete stranger will have more impact in his child's life than he does. And because of poor decisions, that may be true. I don't want that to be true in my life. I don't want it to be true in your life. There is no way a complete stranger should have as much influence in your child's life, regardless of their age. But if you're not pursuing their heart, if you're not training, if you're not working at it, if you're not helping establish an identity in God, then someone else will. And someone else is influencing them. Let it be that you are the greatest influence in their life.